Bite of Courage is about you and me. It's about ordinary people aspiring to live their best, most authentic life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. Bite of Courage is about hope, about connecting with others, about choosing love over fear and having the courage to be who we're truly meant to be. Bite of Courage is about us. Today's guest is our singer-songwriter, Stephanie Erin Brill. She hails from... Hi, Steph. She's waving. She hails from Cedarburg, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee. And among many of her awards, she was named Madison's Youth Female Vocalist of the Year. And she's also a two-time nominee for the Rising Star Award. I'm so grateful to have you here today, Steph. Thanks for being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. So I guess I wanted to start out by just telling everybody how our paths crossed. For me, it was kind of kind of like love at first sight, but I guess in this case, it was love <laughs> love at first listen. My producers have been getting ready to launch this podcast, and they're like, "Mo, you gotta get you gotta get the music. You gotta find your theme song." And I'm like, "So my my one of my first podcast guests was Kirsten Alberts, who's a stand up comedian out in L.A., and I happened to be talking to her during some post production stuff, and." She knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew. So I started listening to all this stuff on YouTube and uh, anything that she was sending me. And, you know, I wanted something kind of hip, cool and trendy and uplifting. And, you know, it's just it's the whole the whole podcast is about courage. And so I wanted it to be uplifting for sure and inspiring. And then she sent me your link. And as soon as I heard it, it was like I thought that's the music. That's the song. That's the voice. You just have such a great, you sort of had that it quality, I felt like. And, Thank you. Um, you're welcome. And there's such a unique sound to you. And one of the things that really struck me immediately about you is that you are so emotionally connected. You have such a mature quality about your voice. So I was absolutely shocked when I found out that you're 19. Like I'm nauseous because you are that good. <laughs> Like, are, Thank you. So you're 19. Yeah, I'm 19. I'll be 20 in August. When's so your I, birthday? I always had that late summer birthday. When's your birthday? August what? August 26th. Oh, my husband is August 25th. <laughs> I thought oh, maybe nice. the 26th, yeah. But anyway, I just, there was this great sound quality and you have such a sense of confidence and maturity. And then when I was watching your videos, I was even more blown away because I thought, I think most people take for granted that when somebody's performing, like to put, whether it's stand-up comedy or acting or music or whatever, when you're putting that all together, all those elements together, it's it takes a lot of thinking and practicing and rehearsing. So to sing and play at the same time is... It's nerve-wracking for me as an artist and a creative person to even watch that. And here's the reason why is because I, when I was in college, I was, I minored in music and I, I wrote songs too. And I used the word loosely write because I couldn't actually write out the music 
on a, you know, on a staff, but I tried, but I wasn't very good at it. And so what I would do is I'd sit in the music hall and I had one of those, I'm dating myself, but I had a big boom box. And do you know what a boom box is? Oh yeah. Okay, I had a boom box in my room. <laughs> so, so I had this boom box and I would take it into the recital hall, which was the, the best acoustics in the music department there. And I would just play for hours and hours and hours. And I would imagine like being in Carnegie Hall and playing there. And, and so I would just make up these things and they would come out like, in a heartbeat. And as a musician, mm-hmm. I know you, sometimes you just, you channel that, whatever that is you feel mm-hmm. inspired by, but I couldn't do that in front of people because I had such terrible stage fright. But as a music major or minor, you had to perform. And the laughable ironic thing is that as a music minor, I, my emphasis was in performing and I couldn't perform okay. <laughs> in front of people. So I had a little problem there yeah. because when my, I would get up in front of people, even in our repertoire class, every Wednesday night, we'd have to go and play what we were working on and what we had in our repertoire. And my hands would shake so uncontrollably on the piano that I would <sighs> play more wrong notes than I did right. And then mm-hmm. to top it off, because I love to top myself off. <laughs> I would put my foot on the sustain pedal and it would shake uncontrollably. So you have that problem because out of nerves because of nerves. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Because I made so many wrong notes and they were sustained. Like it felt like an eternity. Finally, the um, head of the department, (laughs) Dr. Regagini, who was this brilliant man and performer, he was like, you know what, Mo, um, we're going to make you the professional page turner. And so, Yeah. And I, but I, I like, I, well, I should qualify by saying like, I begged him to do that. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And in retrospect, they probably should have encouraged me to just get out there and do it anyway. And maybe I would have gotten some nerves, (laughs) but I think they did the right thing in their defense because it was, it was a terrible thing. And so when I was watching you play, or like I had said to Kirsten a couple weeks ago, like to watch a person doing stand up or performing in front of a live audience, it's like, it makes my, I'm like, my heart palpitates. Yeah. Beats really fast <laughs> because it's nerve wracking. So mm-hmm. I just wonder, like, how have you dealt with the nerves? I know you said before, like, you started when you were five playing and then got yeah. into music theory and stuff. So you've, kind of it sounds like you've kind of grown up performing and you're kind of used to it but do you have you struggled with that a lot in the past yeah so I started playing piano I was always singing as a child so I never really had to teach myself how to sing and play at the same time sometimes depending on what rhythms I play on the piano it's hard to sing with it but it's always been a natural thing for me to sing and play at the same time. But when I started performing, which was when I was probably 11 or 12, I started doing local festivals and just, I would play piano for dinner parties or at restaurants and movie theaters and stuff like that. A lot of your own stuff or were you covering other people? A lot of my own stuff and a lot of covers. I started off with a lot of covers just because first of all, I didn't have as many originals as I did covers and people are more drawn to the familiarity of cover. So if I'm playing Billy Joel, Beatles, and Queen tunes, all the people are going to be hearing that. They're going to be like, oh, I know Rocket Man. Yeah, this little girl's playing Rocket Man. That's awesome. So I tried to balance that, and I still try and do that. But yeah, I remember several times where I would have to shove my leg up (laughs) against the piano because my leg was shaking so much when I was trying to use the sustain pedal. And singing, I would get really shaky. Uh, I remember one specific show I was performing at the Salvation Army Christmas Feast at the 
the name of the venue changes all the time. It was the Midwest Airlines Center, and then it was the Frontier Airlines Center, but it was just this big ballroom, um, at least a thousand people all in this big ballroom eating dinner, coming in and out. And there's little me on my keyboard. Yeah. And I just remembered waiting to go up on stage. That's the only time I've ever been so nervous. I felt nauseous. How old were you? And uh, I was probably 13. I did it for four years in a row. I was 13 or 14. But yeah, I still I still get nervous before every show. Do you have a ritual that you try to do? That you know, I used to try to do jumping jacks, but then I was just sweaty and nervous. I know. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> physically getting it out can make it worse for me too. I usually just try and kind of pace around and. What I find is if you if you breathe like you relax, it's almost to fake it till you make it. If you yeah. breathe like you're relaxed, your body will naturally follow and be as relaxed as you can be. So I like to practice the breathing exercises I do in voice lessons and Yeah, it's it's so again, it strikes me because of your age and your maturity to even have that kind of insight, to know that the your actions follow your breathing and you can mm-hmm. and you can slow that down and it took me into my 30s to learn how to do stuff like that i mean i do some public speaking now and work and and do some teachings i teach some writing classes locally and cool thanks but it's taken me and it took me into my 30s and 40s to sort of understand the techniques and meditation and getting into breathing exercises and that your your actions follow your thoughts and we can change mm-hmm. our thoughts but you're 19 like i'm not right <laughs> <laughs> who who are your teachers? I mean, is, is music in your family? Are your parents, you know, artists? Tell me a little bit more it's about funny. your background. It's funny. Yeah, most of my family is not musical. There's this funny feud between my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandmother, and they like to kind of claim ownership of the <laughs> musicianship. So they'll say on my on my dad's side, it's very Irish. And my grandma will say, well, your great grandfather was in an Irish trad band and <laughs> He played all over, and then my my grandma on my mom's side, who is German and Swiss, will say that, oh, well, so-and-so on this side of the family played the dulcimer and the banjo, and they like to kind of just fight. Yeah. It's all lighthearted, of course, but in my immediate family, nobody plays music. I'm pretty much the only one that has chosen music as a career path, especially. But yeah, I'm I'm the odd one out. So who got you started in piano? How You said you were five, I think, when you started? Yeah, I was five. I started taking piano lessons with my music teacher from elementary school. Her name's Judy Plaster, and she lived on a farm, so I would go just to her house, and she had a little piano. I used these little, like, Hal Leonard books that have, like, pictures in them and then the music, and it was all pretty easy stuff. I, I flew through the books and a secret that she probably doesn't know is that I never really practiced. <laughs> she could probably tell. Oh, yeah. I thought I was smart and I would have practiced and I would come in and my ear has always just naturally been really good. So I would come in and I'd be like, well, I remember what this sounded like. So that's right. Right. Isn't it? And so who got you to that teacher? My parents, my parents just, just signed like, me up um, when I was even younger than five. I had a little yeah, Yamaha keep that would light up and I would just make stuff up on the piano. So they saw that I was just musically inclined and they signed me up for piano lessons and I've been playing ever since. It just never stops. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I used to do the same thing. I wasn't, I'm still not a good sight reader. And of course now it's been years. My kids are into piano and cello and stuff. And that was always important to me in my family. We all had to learn a musical instrument. And in fact, I'm getting a little off tangent, but it just 
reminds me of my mom who was such an amazing, amazing artist, dancer, music, singer, everything, just such a creative spirit, you know, free spirit. And it was so important to her to have that in your life, music and the arts, you know, Mm -hmm. and so my kids play and I thought, well, and it's, it's sort of gotten me back into it a little bit too, which is nice, but if they have such a great ear for that, but it's, it's one of those things where you can't really force it. If you see that they have a natural talent, it's, it sounds like your parents really cultivated that in you too. Yeah. Do they, do you have any brothers and sisters? I have two older brothers. And are, and they're not musically inclined either? My oldest brother plays guitar a little bit. Oh. He's self-taught, just acoustic guitar. And then the middle child, my other older brother, he loves listening to music. He will always have something random to show us. His music taste is eclectic, to put it politely. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the only one that really like performs and writes and has taken it to the next level of not just a hobby, but actually what I want to do. Well, I was going to ask you about some of your influences and it sounds to me, I mean, you mentioned Elton John and Billy Joel Mm -hmm. and those, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we're not alone and we say they're like probably some of two of our favorite artists in the whole world, right? obviously for all the obvious reasons, but those were my two biggest influences. Not so much the Beatles, although I love the Beatles, but I guess because of the Mm -hmm. piano, like I just, like I said, for me growing up in my life, that was a real outlet for me when I was upset or depressed or worried or struggling. And even in college, I'd come home from work and I'd go straight over to the music hall and just play through the night. And if my That's you know cool. instructor was up there, I could see his light on, he'd be working or practicing and he'd let me into the recital hall and I would just play through the oh, night. Cool. So I'm bummed that I don't, that's why I, I try to get my kids to like really work on the sight rating and all that kind of stuff. But for me, like mm-hmm. it sounds like you too, it was because I wasn't good at sight reading or reading music so well or counting rhythms really well, I would have to listen to something like I wanted desperately to play what a senior, when I was a freshman, this girl who was a senior and a, a vocal major there, she played Claire de Lune, you know, Claire okay. Debussy, and it was the most beautiful rendition I'd ever heard. I'm like, oh, I have to learn how to play that. <laughs> and one of my music instructors said, that's probably a little, you know, you need to probably work up to that. And yeah. I tell you what, Steph, I, I listened to that over and over and over and over again on cassette tape. Of course, I'm dating myself mm-hmm. again, but I listened to that on my boom box in my room or on my little cassette recorder on the bus down to the inner harbor where I worked. And I just listened. I'd come home and I'd practice it and practice it over and over again until I could, cool. m- until I could mimic it. And yeah. I'm actually trying to write out the notes again now and relearn that measure by measure. But mm-hmm. it's hard when you get older to do that stuff. Plus, you know, yeah. you, need, you need time. But Billy Joel and Elton John were just my favorite artists in the world. And one of my questions to you was, you know, who are some of the artists that influenced your music and how you came to get your voice, so to speak, you, your musical voice? I'm assuming that they were a big influence for you. Yeah, um, a lot of classic rock people who play piano, which was most of them, like Billy Joel, Elton John, um, Queen, the Beatles somewhat, I just listened to them a lot and I kind of just fell in love with them. And Paul McCartney, when he did solo stuff, there was more piano in that. But I think the biggest person who gave me that kind of revelation of this is what I want to do, this is who I want to be like, was Regina Spector. And she sings the theme song for the Netflix show Orange is the New Black. That was like her big, big break. So she's been around for a while. What's her name? Um, And she has a lot of... Regina Spector, yep. And she 
I don't know, she had a song, Blue Lips, and it was just, her writing style is really quirky. A lot of the, the things that she says would come across as just like, oh, okay, wouldn't have said that, but interesting. <laughs> so I think it's, it's not so much a love her or hate her scenario, but it, she's definitely unique. So I would listen to her for hours and hours and hours, and I'd bring her music into my piano lessons, my writing lessons. And just from there, I would just find other piano-based artists, but I always had that basis of classic rock in my head because that's just what I grew up listening to. So I think that's played a huge part in it. But once I started actually actively seeking inspiration, it was Regina Spector, Carole King, mm. Sarah Bareilles. When I was in middle Whoa. school, I would play a lot of her stuff. So I'd try to lip sync yeah. to her with like my roll brush, you know, in front of me. She's I still pretty. do. Oh, She's my gosh. really good. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what about like people like Colby Calais? I remember when she first came out, I loved her. Yeah. So you kind of describe your music, but two sentences, how would you describe your music? Would you, are you like indie rock or it sounds like you're kind of a combination. Oh, yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah. I would say, uh, I usually use the words definitely that indie kind of style where it's a kind of hodgepodge of a lot of things, which a lot of people just call Americana. I've learned is oh. just kind of a miscellaneous term, but a lot of people will tell you differently. It's genres are such a, yeah. Well, and there's so much crossover. There's so much crossover now. So yeah, I yeah, get, so I, I get I, the I sort of the melting pot to call it Americana. It makes sense. And I guess yeah. today too, mm -hmm. I would imagine, you know, there's so many more chances. Well, yes and no. I mean, there's so many more opportunities for people to become superstars in any field yes. they want because we live in such a flat global yes. world. But at the same time, then your, your competition, so to there's speak. There's more competition. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always sort of felt like as an artist, I mean, for me as a writer, there's a lot of different things I love to do and, and I'm curious about, but for me, writing is like my thing. But I think for an artist that can get onto YouTube, while you increase your chances of being found, so to speak, you do have more competition, but I just sort of feel, and that's mm -hmm. why I was so drawn to you when you're really, really good at something, I don't feel like there is any competition. And I feel like that's part of being really present and who you are and what you choose to do. Sure. And I, I think that's yeah. easier said than done. Like I try to not compare, we, we can't, we compare ourselves to the other people that are doing what we do. Right. So I compare mm -hmm. myself to other writers and I'm like, I suck. It's easy to do that. Totally. Yeah. So I would imagine that for you performing, because that's obviously, I can't put my article. Well, I, I do blogs, <laughs> but performing on YouTube or whatever, I would imagine that's even harder because you hear somebody else and you're like, Oh my God, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Oh yeah. yeah. I do that all the time. And especially because most of my stuff on YouTube is older, especially when, when you're a teenager, the difference between when you're 14 and when you're 15 is exponential. So I look back at videos where I'm 16, 17, and I just, I can't cringe. help but kind of cringe. Yeah, because I know how much I've improved. So to me, that's like, oh, if people could hear me now, they'd know how much better I was. But if you take it for what it is, it's totally fine. And I always have to kind of yeah. take myself away from it and realize not everybody is going to be able to hear me how I am. And that's just a nice little snapshot of how things were. And it's still good. It's fine. That's such a healthy yeah, way to look at it. I YouTube and compare myself. It's, yeah. it's so 
hard not to do that. And I used to tell people that I worked with in Los Angeles when I was working in entertainment. I was like, listen, you know, a writer would call me, they'd be all upset or they read a review of something. And I'm like, listen, if you're going to believe the bad stuff, then you got to believe the good stuff. I just say, believe in yourself and don't pay any attention and turn that stuff off and don't read that. And, you know, it's easy advice for me to give. And now I'm like, who's reading my stuff? Is anybody reading my stuff? Yeah. So I know that that's tough. The other, one of the other things I wanted to, well, a lot of things, but one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is you obviously write a lot of your own stuff. I mean, you do now, as you've gotten over, older, it sounds like you do a lot of original things. Do you, and I hate to ask this question because when I hear other people ask it, I'm like, well, that's a stupid question. Like, you know, what inspires <laughs> you? Life inspires you, right? But, right. and yeah. where we are, what would you say though are some of the things that you feel, you know, like when I need inspiration and I know I need to get away from the computer and go out and get away from my writing, I go walk, you know, I live near the Indiana Dunes and I go down to the beach and I walk. Oh, cool. But cool. I like to be outside and in nature, except in the middle of winter yes. when it's dark gray and snowing. But I'm the same way. I'm the same way. So when I feel like I need inspiration, I definitely like to go outside. It's hard in the winter because I am in Minnesota for school, but I'm originally from Wisconsin. So it's not that much of a difference. It's cold in the Midwest. Yeah. So it's hard to go outside in the winter and get inspired, but a lot of times I'll journal. If I can't go outside, I'll just journal, I'll free write, or I'll listen to music that inspires me. I have to be in the right mindset to listen to music to inspire me because sometimes it gets to the point where I listen to it and I'm so inspired by it. That's all I can think about. Yeah. So I don't want to copy that song. But yeah, I, I love nature. Nature is by far the most inspiring thing to me when I was, I don't know how old I was when I first started going to summer camp, but there's a summer camp in Wisconsin called Camp Manitowish. It's a YMCA camp. And I went for five summers in a row. And the main part of the camp that really changed my life was going on these canoeing trips. So I started off, I did a three day canoeing trip, then a five day and then a week long. And my longest one was 14 days in Canada. And just after having those experiences and learning so much about nature and how to take care of it and just being not isolated so much, but just immersed in nature for that long amount of time, really, it it sticks with me and it always will. So that's always Mm -hmm. been the most inspiring thing to me is nature and just going outside and connecting with that. Starting for me is hard, always, just because I've noticed a lot of us have this with any kind of writing. You have that inner critic critic constantly. So even when you're just starting off, the the time when your critic should be just completely silent, it's still there. You think of an idea, you haven't even written it down yet, and that critic is like, no, no one's going to get that. No, that's cheesy. Why are you doing that? So now, and especially starting this this year, taking writing classes in school and just writing more and more, I've I've learned I'm trying to keep that critic down, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm first starting. So for me, I usually, I'm a natural procrastinator. So I don't know if that's why I like to take several days to write songs most of the time, or if it is just like work on it, let it kind of simmer and see how you feel about it the next day. Yeah. But there have been a lot of times where I just am like, okay, I have this idea. And a lot of it comes out of a comedic point in me. So if I'm just like, 
thinking like, oh, this doesn't matter. Like, it's just a silly song. I'll write it in like five minutes and yeah. it'll be hilarious, but it'll have that, that cleverness and that wit to it. But if I'm really trying to say something, it takes a really long time. I have a couple songs, especially like breakup songs and things where <laughs> you can easily have a cliche and you want to stray away from that. I really have to distill all yeah. these ideas and then get it down to the final product. Yeah. Speaking of breakup songs, do you have, do you have a boyfriend? Are you dating anybody? I am dating someone, but I, I have my fair share of breakup songs. Yeah. Yes. So are you like Taylor Swift? Do you like, are the, the guys you date, are they afraid to break up with you? Cause you'll like, write Like your, I try not to do story? that because I, yeah, I grew up with Taylor Swift's music and seeing her grow and mature as a musician and artist yeah. and her reputation for doing that. And I think I it's so unfair, by the way, I think that's so unfair. It's like, that's where some yeah, of the best yeah. love songs come from, I think. Right. And you can't, she can't deny it yeah. because they, they all have those little, those little digs in the songs yeah. that are obviously specifically for the person she was dating. So it's not so much like, I don't know if she really is dating people just to get a song out of them. No. But when she does write those songs, it's almost like a denial of like, Oh, well, well, I and know, I think it's also a cathartic way to sort of express what she went into. That's what we oh, all, we totally. need that creative outlet. Totally. I, I get worried sometimes too, when I'm teaching locally uh, this writing class in town and I worry that the more people that are reading my blog and the more people I meet, I'm like, are they worried that I'm going to, you know, because I have to, you have to be careful. You kind of have to change right. the names to protect the innocent. And yep. The writing I look back on that I cringe, it's because I used to write for revenge. It was my way of releasing that, you know, some people yeah. go out and they run and they exercise and they do whatever. We all have our ways of releasing that energy. And for me, writing was an outlet to get rid of all of the yeah. angst that I was going through growing up or the teenage, you know, when you're going through adolescence and stuff. So for yeah. me, it was a great cathartic thing to be able to do. But I used to write for revenge. If I didn't oh, like yeah. you, I, I might give you an ailment that you would not like so much. And I could say it's actually that it's true. The cliche is that the pen is mightier than the sword. You can mm -hmm. exact a lot of great revenge with a pen. And I, I did, but I kept was more in a journal form. So that was safe. Okay, yeah. But now as yeah. I've evolved as a writer, it's more about sharing the experiences that are universal to all of us. The angst, the defining yeah. the courage, the going through this, the heartache. We all share in the struggle basically of the, and that's life. But how do we do that? And we're all connected. We're all interconnected. And so right. that's what this is all about. I want to real quickly tell our listeners one of my favorite songs, which is it came down to two songs that I wanted to use for the podcast for the background music. So for those of you who don't know, it's like I'm yelling as though my viewers, like, the ones that don't <laughs> I mean, know, wherever you, are. wherever you are, like I'm so dating myself technology wise. So for those listeners out there that don't know the music that you hear in the intro and the outro of the podcast, my podcast bite of courage is Stephanie's song, save the day. And it came down to the two songs, save the day and little bird. I love them both. And now, of course, Paradise Thank is you. my my all-time favorite new song. But I just thought Save the Day at the end. At the end of the day, I thought Save the Day was really great a message. And it was so uplifting and such a great just melody. And it was inspiring. And I thought that would be a great a great way to, to sort of launch this podcast. So I'm going to pull that up, Steph. Is there anything you want to share about Save the Day, how it came to be? Your video, by the way, is adorable. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about the videos, videos to too. Like how, you, just the whole thing. It was like, it, and 
for you guys out there listening, if you want to hear and see her video, well, you tell them where to go and then maybe tell us a little bit about it and then I'll play it a, a minute. Sure. Yeah. So the, the easiest way to find it is if you go to my YouTube channel, which is Stephanie Aaron Brill, which is just my full name. And after you type in Stephanie Aaron Brill, if you just type in save the day, it should be the first one that pops up. It's me with a mask on. I look like a superhero. And the reason behind that music video, the whole music video premise is I'm this superhero that's coming to save the world from pop culture. <laughs> it was my way of kind of being, oh, I don't know, just trying to be like, oh, I'm not conforming to pop culture. So I had my friends in this music video with me dress up as Miley Cyrus and Taylor Swift and just like a general representation of rappers and hip hop culture and just pop culture in general, which yeah. I just disliked as a teenager i'm still a teenager but you know a younger teenager yeah. um, a non-conformist so i'm the superhero saving the day from pop culture and i shoot lasers out of my eyes at these pop culture icons but when i was first writing this song i'm i'm so naturally inclined to write these really poignant these really meaningful borderline cheesy songs that's just what comes naturally to me I always want my songs to have a message, but Save the Day was kind of my way of getting nonsensical and having fun with something. So I just thought, I came up with the little riff in the beginning, it's a doom, 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 and I was like, oh, what does this remind me of? It's kind of badass, isn't it? It reminds me of like a superhero. So I, I went with that and I wrote a song about a superhero, just a very generic story of a superhero. That's awesome. Yeah. And how did the whole, the, the, the video come about? How did you, uh, you obviously have a great crew. I saw some of the credits on, uh, oh, the yeah. YouTube yeah. channel. How did you, how did you guys all come together? We, my, my dad and I, well, both my parents and I, but mostly my dad, my dad gets so excited about projects like that. He has, Aww. he always has these big ideas. Yeah, it's great. So we found, we were just, looking around locally, sending emails, looking at different websites around Milwaukee of videographers. And we found these two men who worked for some local news stations and were trying to branch off and do their own videography, make music videos, make short films, all that fun stuff. And um, we met with them a couple times and I told them my idea and they were like, cool, that sounds really fun. We can do that. Definitely. I'm lucky enough that my uncle who lives in Milwaukee, right in the third ward, he has this studio apartment that has a wall that has a green screen because oh. he's really into photography. My cousin is really into photography. So they just have this amazing space. So they were gracious enough to let us come in and use that green screen, which is where you can see me flying through the air and the sky is behind me. And I'm a newscaster at one point and obviously yeah. there's that news background and we actually used real Milwaukee news footage up in the corner the little graphic I wondered about that I mean and, it looked like yeah. it was the real the real deal I know it was amazing how the long did it take was, you to shoot that it took us just one very long day yeah oh and then but then there was some stuff at actually in my house where I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching the news and I'm like oh why why is this <laughs> on the news why is Miley Cyrus always on the news it's it's just it's so campy it's hilarious to and that's me, why to watch. i think it works that's why it works because you well, can I'm tell it is it is so, sort yeah. of like that tongue-in-cheek where it's like yes you're making a you're you're very clearly making a comment on pop culture yes which is what yes. i loved about it i could keep talking and i got to interrupt myself because i really want i really want our that's listeners fine. to Wait. hear <laughs> all right hang on one second so this is 
Stephanie Aaron Brill, Save the Day, music produced by, is it Tony? Schuler. Schuler? Yes. All right, cool. All right, and here's a little bit of Save the Day. minute of that, but I love it so much. I just had to keep going. That's so great. <laughs> I'm just you. so excited that that's the theme song for this podcast. Like it totally makes Yeah. Sense. I think I, I don't know. I've never had someone come up to me and want to use my music for a podcast or a video game or anything like that. Well, so I, I think it's yeah. awesome that you like it so much. Yeah. Get used to it. Cause you, <laughs> you're going to be one of those people to watch. I mean, you really are. And like I said, I can't, I cannot believe you're only 19. Tell me a little bit too about like what 
I know you're studying music at school, obviously. Is it songwriting in particular? Yes. Yep. And so are you still doing a lot of theory? Like how do, what, how does that, what are some of your classes like and how far along are you? Yeah, I, I've taken some theory classes. I go to McNally Smith College of Music. It's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Do you go to school uh, with I made, Chrissy, I, by the way? Do you know? I, I don't know if she's still there, but I know a mutual friend on Facebook of ours is Gabby Castro, who just graduated. Oh. So I don't, I don't have any classes with her. I don't know if she's still well, I just there. wanted to, I, like... I wanted to give a shout out to Chrissy because she, yeah. like she's Kirsten's friend and it was through Chrissy. She sent a bunch of other stuff and she ultimately, I think, is how I found, got connected to you. And so she's another yeah. amazing musician. So That's it's awesome. like, yeah, it's like a, a shout out to her. So yeah, anyway, so I interrupted. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Yeah. Shout out to Chrissy. I mean, without her. <laughs> Yeah. You wouldn't have found my gotta, kids, It's, so. it's um, like you got to help support everybody who's out there trying to, to yeah. get their music heard, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm majoring in songwriting, and I'm on my sophomore year, second semester, which is crazy. I'm almost halfway done with wow. college. So freshman year, I did take a couple theory classes. They offer three levels of theory, but I took a placement test for theory as well as ear training. And then there's something called keyboard lab, which is basically just a way of taking the theory, learn and applying it to an instrument. And um, piano is very easy to see where the notes are. It's very linear. You don't have to think about what string to play on and what fret and whatnot. It's just a very good way to get the basic understanding of the theory on an instrument. So those are the three theory departments, I guess you could call them. And I took a, I took some placement tests for those, and I got into theory two and key lab two, but ear training three. So I only had to take one semester of ear training, which I don't know. I liked ear training. Does a lot that, of people, it's definitely the hardest. Does that explain why you have such perfect pitch? Yeah, so I, I almost have perfect pitch, and there's yeah. a funny story behind it, actually. I have what's called relative pitch, yeah. so I always know where middle C is. I can just go, hmm, and that's middle C. Yeah, and I because... can give you, I have the same thing. I don't have absolute pitch or perfect pitch, but I have right. relative pitch. You give me a middle C, and I can give you a fourth or a fifth or whatever. Yeah, perfect yeah, which is, which is still impressive. Yeah. You really think about it. But I always know where middle C is because I have an electric toothbrush. It's like a sonic hair, I don't know, but I had it in middle school. And just because it's constantly literally in your oh, head. Oh, that's the that best story. And you're brushing your teeth. teeth. I la, wondered, la, la, la. I was like, what note is that? So I went to the piano and I had my toothbrush and it's a middle C. No, and that's I, awesome. I'm at a, that I, wish I, could, I wish I could go get my toothbrush right now. I want to listen because I have a sonic hair. You know, a toilet I think is E flat. I've heard a toilet flushes in really? E flat. Yeah, we, we'll have that's to check so that out. Yeah. I mean, it's also weird that we're making a reference to all these bathroom things, like the toothbrush. Yeah, I guess bathrooms are more musical than we thought. Well, but that if you ask my husband, um, he might disagree. Perfect pitches, you hear it everywhere. If you have perfect pitch, you're going to hear music everywhere. Everywhere. Car horns. Yeah, it's, it's, it is true. And it's the same thing. That's why it's like, I does, I do get a little bit into the danger zone when I have music on when I'm Mm -hmm. writing because I'm analyzing it and, I come from a really big family, and so does my husband. There's 10 kids in my family. There's eight kids in his. But in my family, it was super quiet. It was sort of like it had to be because that's the way we were raised. You know, it was like you don't speak until you were spoken to. On the other hand, my husband's family came from he's eight kids, and it was so loud. 
but my ears are so, I don't know if it's because of the way I was raised or because my ears are so sensitive to sound. So for instance, my, I have two boys and they're boys and they're kids and they make a lot of noise. And sometimes it's like this cacophony of sound in my, and I'm looking at my husband, like, can you, stop the noise. Like it's too much. Mm-hmm. I can't. And so now I, I keep my headphones on those si- these si- sound silencing ones, because it's like, I have to, I, I have to block out the noise because I'm sensitive to so many different vibrations and pitches and yeah. the, the harmonics. Interesting. Yeah. I, I actually had a few surgeries as a kid on my ears because I had fluid behind my eardrums wow. and I had all these infections. So they put tubes in my ears just to regulate that but because they went through so much trauma, my left eardrum never healed from the tube being placed. So there was a little hole in my eardrum. So they had to do another surgery where they took a graft of skin and placed it over my eardrum. So this, my left eardrum is just completely scarred. I can hear fine. My hearing is normal. I wouldn't say it's above average by any means. Did you lose any hearing because of that? That's a good question. It's hard for me to tell. And I'm very scared of going to get yeah. my hearing tested because I'm scared they're going to tell Say me something. I have hearing loss or I'm going to have fluid in my ears again. I just, it was, it was so traumatic for me to go through that. And especially because I'm a musician, I was like, Oh yeah. no, my hearing. How old were so, you when that happened? I was a baby for the first few surgeries, just the ear infections. And then I think when I was seven or eight is when they put the tubes in the last time took them out. And when I was 10, somewhere in there, they, uh, they patched up my eardrum. That's amazing. I remember I was fifth grade, whatever age that was. Hey, well, if it's any consolation, look at Beethoven, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's a really bad joke, but it's kind of, it's kind of true. It's like, it's it's true. I mean, if the, if the music inclination is there, I guess. There's a, oh, I wish I could remember her name, but there is a musician who, a modern musician, she went deaf and she still performs. She, she remembers how pitch sounds in her head. Yeah. I wish I could remember her name. Well, it also makes me think too. It's like, and I'm sure it's like what Beethoven did or what this artist that you're talking about, everything is vibrations. And so you can literally feel the sound, the beat and the sound and the literally the vibrations. Yeah. God, that's an amazing story. It sounds too like you have such a great support system around you. It sounds like your family is super supportive. Your dad gets so excited about this stuff. Yes. Are your brothers involved in any way with your music or videos or anything like that? Like the reason I had asked, I couldn't remember, was it the producer then that was doing the guitar? Yeah. So that was my producer. I met him through this little contest through the Wisconsin area music industry. And basically the contest was you bring in 90 seconds of any song of yours and there's three judges and he was one of the judges. And you just play the 90 seconds. Nobody's allowed to take ownership of the song. So there's no bias. It's just listening. And they gave feedback. And afterwards, I just came up to him. I was probably 13 or 14. And I just said, hey, thanks for your feedback. I really appreciated it. And he said, hey, I think you have a lot of potential. Would you be willing to come in and record? And I can help you with your writing and wow. just developing as a writer and a performer and all that stuff. And we be- we just instantly clicked. We were like the best of buds. And we've been working together ever since. I recorded with him when I was 15, and that's what Save the Day was. So he recorded that in the studio. He mixed that. He came up with a lot of the arranging for it and helped me write it. Not so much, you know, giving me 
things to say, but just I would bring it in and he would say, okay, well, I like that. But yeah, giving me more perspective. So tell me his name again. He's incredible. Tony Tony, Schuler. Tony Schuler. Shout out to Tony, man. What does he do by trade or is that his, what's his day job, so to speak? What's he trying to do? Well, that's, that's That's what he does. He took that up full time and he spends hours and hours and hours in the studio. He used to have a studio in Lannan, which is just outside of Germantown, Wisconsin. And unfortunately for me, but very fortunately for him, he just moved to Austin, Texas, which is one of the main hubs Great of music, spot. music in general. Yeah. Yeah. So he's down there, hopefully getting some clients and hopefully he'll come back up and visit me or I can go visit him because I have a lot of new stuff and I trust him with my, my babies, my, yeah. my songs. And it's so, so nice too to have, well, I have a couple of things I was thinking, but it's so nice to have somebody like that who got a hold, obviously, I mean, they, you're telling, it's really probably just a matter of you have to keep playing and keep getting out there and keep going yeah. out and, and yeah. keep getting your name out there and your, your music because you're going to have a career. Like usually I ask people like, what's plan B? I would imagine your answer is you don't have a plan B because Yes, you're so good at this, and obviously oh, he, he he recognized that talent immediately. The other thing I was thinking, well, again, just to mention Austin real quick because they are such an incredible music scene now. Is that one of the places? Because mm-hmm. I can't imagine you not playing in some of these. What are some of your dreams as far as where you want to play? What venues? Where do you want to go? Like, where do you see yourself music-wise? That's a great question. I I guess. Milwaukee is where I started, and I'm slowly but surely making my way up the ladder in Milwaukee. I started off just doing basic festivals in Cedarburg, like Strawberry Fest and Mm. the open mic night that we kind of started there, and just little festivals like that. And, And slowly but surely, I got the Salvation Army Christmas gig, where the governor was, and all these thousands of people came to have dinner and serve the the people in need, homeless people, people who just are hungry. And so that was another big show for me. But I guess the, the biggest ones in Milwaukee I have played, I opened at Turner Hall, which is one of three main venues in Milwaukee. There's Turner Hall, there's the Riverside, and then there's the Pabst Theater. Mm-hmm. So I guess if, if I could open there, at all three of those, or if I could headline there someday. I know Regina Spector was at the Riverside, and I saw her perform there, and I was like, oh, someday, someday I'll be there. But, uh, yeah, Milwaukee, the only venues I can really name by name are, like, the ones in Madison and Milwaukee. So definitely starting, like, where I yeah was you know, keeping my foundation where it is. And then I, I think you're going to play all three of those places to tell you the truth. Thanks. I mean, I think that when, It'd be so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is also part of why I'm doing this podcast when I think it's true that when you throw something out to the universe, it, the universe conspires to help you. And I think even just throwing that out there, that putting that energy out there and like, these are the three places I want to stay. I mean, it's like, sure. you know, it's like yeah. grassroots. You start out small and you start out who you are. I mean, the goal is just to mm-hmm. remain who you are in your heart to thy own, thy own yes. be true. But the fact that you just put out those three places, it's like, I hope whoever's out there listening, if I can yell a little louder, yeah. if you're listening, like get Get yeah. Stephanie to, to open at these places. You don't even need to open for anybody else. I mean, I think you're going to be a star right. in your own right. And I think it's, I hope this doesn't sound condescending. I mean this in the most endearing way, but I, 
you're going to be so much bigger than Milwaukee. And it's like, I can see you in Austin. I can see you at Lollapalooza in Chicago. And I can see you, and I can see you going on tour and doing this for a living. And I think, you know, obviously that's the goal. And it, and I try to tell my kids all the time, and I hope somebody else, if you're listening out there, tells my kids because they don't listen to their mother. But, and I wouldn't say it's because of regret on, in my life, but I just think as a parent for me now at this age, like I just want to expose them to as much as I can. And yeah. I keep telling, telling them like, don't do stuff because mom or dad tell you to do it. We, our job is just to expose you to all of these wonderful things that life has to offer. When yeah. something clicks in your heart and you, you'll learn what you want to do by learning what you don't want to do. And mm-hmm. when you find that passionate thing that you just can't live without doing, then do it. Like don't stop. Yeah. Don't have a plan B because yeah. you don't doubt yourself. And I'll believe in you until you can believe in yourself. Cause somebody did that for me. And Kirsten was one of the people just recently that got, she started to believe in me, gets me a little choked up. I mean, she and my sister and you know, that small support group, like your family and your mom and dad. Yeah, and your that's brothers all it and, takes. Yeah. yeah. Just a few people to believe just in you few people. and to hold yeah. you up and carry you and lift you to that place so that you can then get out of those three venues and go on to Austin or to Carnegie Hall or to all the places right. I don't even know about where these people perform, but I know. <laughs> yeah. And I think you, you can only, you're only given what you can handle mm-hmm. you just one step at a time. You just keep doing it. And I just, I'm so inspired by you. And so and one of the Thank other, you. one of the other things I, that, that crossed my mind is Again, this is a podcast about courage and you were 13, you said, when you went up to Tony and you're like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. Like, again, it's taken me decades without giving away too much. It's taken me decades to get that point. How the hell did you at 13 go up to this producer and this artist and this like, probably a godlike person in your world at 13. Like, how did you go up <laughs> yeah. to him? And how were you like, Hey, by the way, I haven't gone through adolescence yet, but can you help me? Like, I know. Yeah. How, so <laughs> what, how, how did that, how did, how did you get the courage to do that? My parents, I went with my parents. My parents go to pretty much every gig, every little contest I do, every little oh. networking event that exists that I go to. And my dad has been the person that kicks me in the butt and says, go talk to him. What's, what's his name? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? My dad? Yeah. Steve. Steve. My dad, shout Steve, out to Steve. My mom is Susie. Steve yeah. Huge Susie. shout out to my dad. My dad has been the biggest support, you know, as a, as a, as a teenager, you don't always want your parents to be telling you what to do. You want, especially me, my personality type makes me so I, I always want to do things on my own. If somebody gives me an idea, I automatically want to stray from it because they're telling to you what me, to do. it seems like, Oh, I'm doing what you said, but if I can <laughs> think of it a different way, even if it's a great idea, yep. you got to get to it on your own myself. Yeah. Yeah. But so I, I just, I bit the bullet and I was just like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to go up with my parents and I'm going to smile with my braces and say, hi, uh, Thanks for your feedback. And um, it did come from a genuine place. It wasn't fake, like, oh, thank you. Yeah. And you trusted your parents yeah, because you parents. knew they have your, your best interest at heart. 
Yeah. And that's a huge testament to the relationship you have with them and what wonderful people they must be and what a wonderful job Absolutely. they're doing with you. Because I yeah. think that's I where... Hear, I hear way too many times of people who want to go into the arts, some unsafe careers where you won't always be in this stable career path. And I hear people just talk about how their parents treat their decisions and treat them for wanting those careers and it, it breaks my heart but yep. it shows me how lucky I am to have family and friends and all these amazing teachers and mentors who no matter what have said yeah no do it you're good you got it I've only had one teacher one counselor in high school freshman year I came in and we were talking about okay well you're a freshman but it's not too early to start thinking about what you want to do where if you want to go to school out. and stuff yeah so I I just said I want to be a musician. That's what I want to do. I've been doing it. Look, I've recorded stuff already. And he said, okay, but like you said, Mo, what's your plan B? And I said, I don't have one. So deal with it. Because, right on. Like, I don't know what I honestly, it's not even like a, I don't have a plan B because I want this so much. I think it is. That's part of it. But I don't know what else I would do. Yeah. I'm good at other things, but this is it what I'm best at I don't know what else I would do I really don't that's incredible I thought the other thing I was going to ask you when you're talking about that teacher because there's those people in our in all of our lives and now I'm to a place in my life where it's like I can appreciate the naysayers and the devil's advocates and the, the, the critics the critics so again and I'm even more fascinated because of your youth but how how do you deal with criticism? Because like, not everybody's going to like my writing. Not everybody's going to love your music. So how do right. you, how do you deal with that? Besides the obvious to me, which is getting centered and knowing that this is really about the work and not about the, the recognition necessarily. Again, you do what you love and the rest will follow. But right. all of that said, that's all, all sounds great in theory, but the reality is we have yeah. to live our lives and we're emotional, complicated creatures. How do we yes. live our lives and cope with and manage the pain? Yeah, I guess for me, I am my biggest critic. I think for the most part, everybody is their biggest critic. And I do have days or even weeks where I just think about what I'm not doing as opposed to what I am doing and what I have done. But I've never really had a really bad experience where someone's just like, you suck, I don't like your music. (laughs) I guess going to school was kind of a reality check because you're constantly surrounded by other musicians. So going back to comparing yourself to others, that's been a huge problem for me. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't had people outright tell me they don't like my music. They don't, they don't have a, a taste for my genre or what, but I guess if I were to, I, I do think about it. You, you can't deny that not everybody is going to enjoy what you do. And it is painful. I can't deny that because no matter what, even if what I'm writing isn't about me, if it doesn't pertain to my life, it's something I created. And if I come to songwriting, songwriting class and kids are critiquing what I've written, it's, it's hard to yeah. separate yourself from your creation. So from day one in songwriting class, we were taught, you are the writer, but what you create is the only thing that's being critiqued. So if, if a carpenter had built this table and one of the 
one of the sides was like way off and it's like this and to see if it was a good table somebody put a pencil on it and the pencil just rolls off Mm -hmm. and they say hey I think you should fix your table because the pencil's not staying on it and it's not a flat surface. That's not saying you're a terrible carpenter and you should really find something else to do. And honestly, you suck. you're stupid. Yeah. It's, it's saying this table isn't right. You can fix it. Yeah. That's it. That's a great analogy. So you analogy. kind of have to think about it. Yeah. I, I will never forget that. That was my teacher, Pete Johnson, who unfortunately retired. I'm going to miss him, but yeah, learning that was just like, okay, you're right. And it's hard to do yeah. because as artists, as people who are right brain inclined, who are always like emotionally invested yep. in their art, connected, it's, it's hard to separate. separate yourself and see it as this logical, like, okay, this is my work. It's hard to compartmentalize because we're so right brain. We oh, are yeah. so emotionally connected to the work we're doing. That teacher's message to you reminds me of my mom, who I mentioned earlier. She was such a force of nature and a free spirit and a creative person, a pioneer really in her day. And what she said to me was the the same message in essence. And we lived in the South side of Chicago. We'd get on two or three buses and then we'd get on the train to take the train downtown. And I'd go to music and dance and tap and ballet. And then we'd get on another couple of buses and we'd go to gymnastics. And she just exposed me to everything. And you were talking about the teenager in you that you listened to your parents and they fostered this beautiful person that like, even though as a teenager, like every other teenager, not even just teenagers, it's like as a human nature, we don't want to be told what we have to do. We want to learn that for ourselves, but you trust them enough and they support you so much and love you so much that you, you do it anyway. And then Mm -hmm. you grow into Mm -hmm. that experience. But what my mom always said to me, and I wish I would have listened to her, like you listened to your parents. She used to say, no matter what it is, because with my stage fright, she would try to talk me through that. And it just didn't work. It was the, the fear of not being good enough and the stage fright of, and making mistakes out there in front of people and being judged and criticized. Mm -hmm. It was too Mm -hmm. great. It beat me until now. And she used to say, and so it's never too late because now I'm heeding her advice. And that was what your teacher said to you. It's like, it's about the work. It's about the art. It's about the poetry. It's about whatever message you're delivering. If it's with your voice, if it's with your music, don't think about when you're playing the piano, this is what she told Mm -hmm. me playing the piano. Don't think about the people, it's your ego. Don't think about the people watching you. Think about the music that you're delivering. That's the message. That's like the most beautiful art and creative expression that you can give to somebody. That's, that's the true gift. So take your ego out of it, compartmentalize, Mm -hmm. if you will, take your ego out of that and just deliver the message. And the and the way you deliver it is through your music and your voice. The way I deliver it is through my words. And so we need to just, yeah. we need more poets in the world and more artists in the world. Yes. And yeah. I think that's wonderful. And I just love the fact of making those connections and that you, again, because you're so young and I envy that you are so young and you get this stuff now. It's just, it's such a gift. It really is such a gift. And so is your music. So speaking of which, this might be a good segue to go into, because I do want to get to some more of your music. I want to play just a little bit of Little Bird. Can you tell me about that before I play a minute or two of that? Yeah, that was the other. Is, uh, that was the other one I thought about using as the podcast theme. But I, again, I decided to go with Save the Day. But go ahead, tell me a little bit yeah. about how you were inspired to write that. Sure. So I wrote this when I was twelve, which oh, was God. like sixth grade. I know. See, this even 
blows my mind because I still play it to this day. I recorded this two summers ago in Milwaukee and just hearing it come to life after so many years of it just being piano and singing and just live performances, hearing it come to life with all these other instruments and production value was just an incredible experience. But the main story behind it is something that I think a lot of kids go through and a lot of just adults, anybody goes through. But the song is about a friend I had in elementary school. We were like inseparable. And in middle school, she kind of drifted apart from me. She found other friends and she became, she, she developed this image of this very edgy kind of emo scene image where she would dye her hair and get piercings and she started sneaking out with her new friends and smoking cigarettes and eventually started smoking marijuana in middle school and all these boyfriends and to me at the time that was like what is happening to my friend you know because that's not who I was used to and I saw her going down this path which maybe wasn't so terrible for for me to think about now but at the time it was like my whole world was crumbling I was watching my best friend change into someone I didn't agree with so I wrote this song kind of addressing her as this little bird and I'm like where where are you and what happened like don't you remember the friendship we used to have and what you know where did that go and the chorus says when you smoked your that cigarette your song changed So literally taking that that first cigarette she smoked and saying, you changed when you made those decisions. And I'm scared for you. I don't want to let you go, but I I don't want to be friends with someone who is sneaking out and smoking and just making bad decisions. But towards the end of the song, I say, so, so a recurring line is, people change, people grow. Sometimes you just have to let them go. And at the end, I say, you have changed, you have grown, but I can't seem to find a way to let you go. I will love you no matter what. I can't help it. You're my best friend. So when I was 12, I wrote this. I was really deep into this. You are um, wise beyond your years. You're an old soul for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Did she know you wrote the song about her? Do you have any contact with her at all? At first, I don't think she knew. I didn't show it to her. I only showed it to my piano teacher who was like, oh my gosh, Steph, I didn't know you could write like this. You need to. That was when my shift from piano lessons to writing lessons happened, when I brought that into my piano lesson. But I do remember playing it for my choir class, freshman year of high school, and she was in that class. And that was one of the times I was really shaky and had to shove my leg up because uh, now that took a I lot was of terrified. courage. I didn't want her to know. Yeah, so I so did she I, figure I it out every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, she things unfortunately got worse for her. She went through a big struggle with mental health and not running away from home, but just not liking her home situation and disagreeing with her parents a lot. And she. She didn't go to a boarding school per se, but she went to a kind of alternative sort of school out in Colorado, and she loved it, and she really just enjoyed it there, and she kind of found who she was, and then she went to California, and she loved it there even more, and yeah, so she she kind of found herself, and she I don't I don't talk about those days with her. I just kind of address her as an old friend, and it's just like, oh, cool, so things a, are going well. Yeah, so there's, us, so there's a nice feeling between the two of you when you, I mean, you could still look fondly on those days with each other. Yeah. 
Oh, that's beautiful. That's amazing. It took me a year because I, I didn't have the kind of support that you get from your parents. So I think that's why I did for my mom, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. I had a lot of heartache growing up. And, you know, everybody has dysfunction in their family. We just happen to put the fun and dysfunctional sure. part of it. I didn't know how to resolve conflict. And I think when you come from a broken mm-hmm. home or if there's trouble, you don't learn how to resolve conflict. And I'm learning now what you have learned. Again, a shout out to your parents good parenting um, because it comes from our family of origin. It comes from that, that base and that support and that's foundation. And you look at a house that's built on a foundation. If it's more the continental divide foundation, you're going to have cracks and you're going to fill up those cracks and those voids with things that maybe aren't so healthy. And it's, but the, the thing that's so amazing about sharing that story is how you loved her unconditionally and how you still do. And I just, I don't know. I just think that's so beautiful. And then, Again, the ultimate thing is that you were able to take that very human experience and put it into this emotional forum and express that for everybody. That's why I do it. Yeah, and that's why I write, because it's the way I can express these universal struggles. And they're universal because we all share them as human beings. And I just, again, I think it's such a gift. And on that note, no pun intended, I'm going to just play a minute of the song here, but I love having the visual of your story with her. So this is Little Bird, an original from Stephanie Aaron Brill.
I just even thinking about that story, it's just, I mean, who hasn't gone through that with like your dearest right. friends? That's amazing. And it's just such a Thank nice, you. with everything that's going on in the world today, just nice to put that kind of message out there. And again, I think when you, you put that kind of positive message out into the world, it's sort of like the laws of attraction, you put something out there and you get it oh, back. Yeah. And I think sometimes it takes years. You just never know how it's going to turn out. But I'm reconnecting through my writing with people that I knew back in high school. It's easy to hold people in a certain place. Sure. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, even family members, anybody mm-hmm. you would have falling out with or that you, you don't want to let them go. You so beautifully put it into the lyrics and the music. It's like, I can't let you go, but I will. But I can't let the love that I feel for you go. And that, to me, is the yeah. most powerful message because love is really the only thing absolute. Right. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you, too, it's like I do feel like you're such a, an old soul for somebody your age, but, but you get like this, these big universal messages that take people lifetimes to figure out if they ever do. Is there anything that you've ever experienced in your life, like with family or close friends, of pain and suffering that... Because so far, everything I've heard from you is like, you did it and you have, and you, you stepped up and you walked through the fear. You have to walk through the fear to turn on the light and you have the support behind you. And to learn that from such a young age, I think is the foundation. And I think you'll always have that to to be able to access that so beautifully. But has there ever been anything that you've encountered, like where you needed to sort of like, this might be the thing that stops me? Like, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Really? When I was young, this is heavy stuff and I haven't ever talked about it in an interview, but I'm totally comfortable talking about it. I think it fits perfectly with what you're trying to get across and courage. And the, the only way you can really gain courage is if you have that fear and, and you, you make and the decision lose, to you start to feel combat like you're losing, it. Yeah. If you're, if you're starting to lose faith. Yeah. So when I was young, I was sexually assaulted and growing up with that. I, so I, I, I told my parents justice was served in a way the person went to jail. And just when you, when you get to adolescence and those memories come up, it's really hard. So in high school, I had two kind of breakdowns where I was like, how could this happen to me? Why me? How old were you? Why I was five when it happened, and it's not so—it's not so much that I intentionally forgot. It's just the the body when you go through trauma, yeah. you forget. So high school, it came up again, and I convinced myself I was okay. I was like, well, you know, it didn't affect me when I was a kid. I didn't understand, so it wasn't—it wasn't emotional for me when I was a kid. I would go to therapy, and they would say, "Are you okay?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm fine. Can we talk about something else? Because I'm fine. Did you start like, the therapy because of that? Did your parents have you go to therapy because of that? Yeah, I was required legally to go to therapy. Oh. So high school came around and I, I think it was junior year was this big breakdown where I was like, this happened to me. How could someone do this? It was a family friend. How could someone betray their family like this? And I was I was six. I was going to court when I was six mm. and just all of this stuff came up and I... I went into this spiral and it was just a couple months and eventually I kind of forgot again. It was really weird. It was bad for a couple months. And then I was like falsely convinced myself, well, it made me who I am. You know, I'm strong now. I'm fine, which is okay to think. I just wasn't ready for that yet. That's how you cope. So 
I, yeah, I, I just kind of repressed it again until freshman year of college last year. I like to, I came up with this analogy where there was silt at the bottom of a river. And when I went to college, when I moved out of the house and I met all these new people and I was kind of a fish out of water, I literally like felt like all this silt just came up in that transition and started another up. breakdown happened. And that was when I thought I was, I was done. Like I just really didn't see myself recovering from it. Was there anything in particular that triggered that? Or it was just a common. I think it was just, I'm in a new place. Mm -hmm. I feel this independence, the age I was mm -hmm. 18 when I went, when I first started college. So that's when a lot of questions about sexuality come up and you start thinking about that and you really come face to face with like, this is something I have and I carry it with me and it affects relationships, whether I know it or not. And I just started questioning a lot of things. And I wrote a song. I know how I coped in junior year. I forgot <laughs> I wrote this song. I was just going to ask you. I wrote this song. But yeah, yeah. So I have this song. I just, re I just remembered when I wrote it. So that first kind of breakdown, I wrote this song. It's called Break the Silence. And I haven't released it. And I've only performed it live once at Turner Hall, one of the biggest shows I ever played. And I cried my eyes out on stage. But it's just... What a cathartic it's kind of, yeah, it's a really powerful song. And it's, it's basically saying, it's addressing this person and saying like, how do you feel now? Now that first of all, you were caught and it was from a little girl telling on you kind of like a tattletale, but yeah, you didn't think you were going to get away with it. And I, it's this first, it's, I couldn't help, but break the silence. I couldn't help it. I didn't even know I was telling. I was just like, this happened. And eventually became a really big deal. I didn't even know. And towards the end, I say, I'm proud to break the silence. I don't regret it. I'm glad it happened. <laughs> you got what you deserved. And the, the bridge of the song is where I really, I'm almost screaming and I'm saying kind of, I had problems where people would say, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, I'm so sorry. And to me, I was like, don't pity me. That to me sounded like pity, but these and people victim. meant well. Sure. Right. Exactly. So I, I say, poor thing in the bridge. And I say, poor thing, one of the 12, he confessed to assaulting tw at least 12 other children. And I was the one I kind of served as, the, as this voice for all these other kids. Wow. And it was just this huge, powerful thing. So I guess because I wrote that song, I thought I was okay. Yeah. But I wasn't, I really wasn't ready to. Was that sort of the beginning? That was up. that, was that the beginning of sort of breaking exactly. all that open? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So freshman year, uh, because of that, all this trauma came up again. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and I was on medication for a little while, and I was going to therapy every week. I still go to therapy just yeah. just because. Like, I don't always talk about it in therapy. I just think therapy is a great way for me to just me too. release a lot of stuff. I'm a huge advocate um, of, of therapy yeah. because you need somebody on the outside who's professional and can help you through stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate enough last year, I actually went back to the therapist who was seeing me while I was little. So that was kind of a, an mm. interesting experience to go back to someone who could say, I remember how you reacted to it while it happened. Like when you were a kid, I remember how it affected you. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was comforting in a way, but at first it was very eerie yeah, to go back and surreal. be like, here's how I am now. So I'm not on medication anymore. I decided I I was 
more comfortable just kind of facing the pain on my own. I don't want to bash medication by any means. I think it can be very helpful because depression is a real usually thing. a chemical imbalance. So yeah. you need medication to help that. And I still have, I, I have hard days sometimes, but it is immensely better because I went and faced it. And it was incredibly painful to face it, but it, it helped. That's the only thing. Sometimes yeah. you really have to face it and face it, your fears. Sometimes, sometimes when you say face your fears, you're like, Oh yeah, I can do that. Okay. And you don't realize how hard it's going to be or what it sometimes even means it does really have to get worse. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. It has to get worse. You have to, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. You have to peel yeah. it back and get to the core Yeah, and cry with all those layers that are peeled. Yes. And, yes. Di- and dig your way back out to get to that center where that's to thy own self be true. Where, right. where are you uh, today with all of that? I mean, obviously you seem like um, today I would say I'm, I'm not in that pit of just constantly wallowing in it and constantly feeling like, why me? And why did this happen? And how could this happen? And why didn't it affect me as a kid? And why is it affecting me now? Just all those mm-hmm. questions and I'm not in that pit anymore, which is so nice because it was really debilitating for school and personal relationships and just general outlook on life. I was just like, what's the point, really? Now I, it's something that I don't think about, but I'm not intentionally pushing it away. Yeah. Right. If it does come up, I let myself deal with it. I let myself feel the pain and cry it out or listen to that song. That song always helps me reconnect with how I feel about it and that things are okay now for the most part. I mean, like it's never going to go away, but yeah. And you don't have to be defined by that. Exactly. That was a huge thing for me was I was scared to tell people because I didn't want it to be something that changed their outlook on me. I didn't want my reputation to change. And I think, God, that's such a, that's so insightful. I think that's one of the things, like, we're afraid to tell the things that we're afraid of. We're afraid of being afraid. And we're, and we're afraid of being judged. And the thing that I find so ironic in that is because I've, I've had a similar experience that you just described. And so I admire you so much and thank you so much for, sharing this with whoever's listening, because if it helps one person, it's cliche, but if it does help one person, then it was worth it. And I think you said you started playing when you were five. And the fact that this happened for me, music, playing the piano, being, um, I didn't even think about that. that I I mean, I I feel like music saved your life. I feel like, because I feel like it saved mine. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. And I think that everything happens for a reason and I hate cliches, but, and that's the biggest one out there. But, (laughs) but I think that everything is sort of perfectly choreographed and that when you're open to receiving the information that you're ready to, to hear you until you are, you cope, Yeah. you cope with things yes. or you do drugs or you yes. cigarettes or you, or you gamble. The problems we have are just symptoms of deeper issues. And so yes. obviously you were five and it's not something in any way, shape or form that you brought on yourself. But at five, I think the fact that you started the piano and you started your music, and again, I, I might be personalizing this, but the, the creative stuff that, like, for instance, my mother exposed me to, especially the piano, the music saved my life. 
And eventually the writing saved my life when I got a little bit more confident and had some support to share it with more than just like my little fan club who would be like, oh, yeah, right. that's really great. That made me laugh or whatever. Right. Like, well, you've got to say that. You're my mom, you know, exactly, yeah. or you're my niece or you're my sister or my husband. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just not caring as much because I'm being filled up on the inside with the stuff that matters because I faced that fear Uh, that you faced. And there's a lot of people out there today facing or not facing, but struggling with that because they're afraid of being judged. It's like, we all have hard. Yeah. We all have shit going on. We all suffer. Life is about pain and suffering. How do we minimize that? Right. That was what, that was what kept me from really facing it. I thought I'm such an empathetic person. I'm always drawn to tell me your problems. Tell me your problems. I will help you. And that was my subconscious way of saying, don't help yourself because if you go into that, you won't be able to help other people. And that's what happened. I really wasn't taking time to help myself. I was always helping other people. Yeah. And it was always, I meant well, it was always with good intention. But when I finally dove into my own issues, it took away that empathy. I was like, well, screw you. You don't know what I went through. So why yeah. should I help you with your problem? Like, oh, you got in a fight with your parents today? Well, this Guess happened what? to me. So tell me, tell me, complain to me tomorrow and tell me how you feel. Yeah, and you do um, have to go through yeah. that that stage. I mean, I remember th- oh, you yeah. know, it was through therapy that kind of saved my life too and uh, turned everything around for me until I could face that fear. But I wasn't ready until yeah. I got to that point. And I did a lot of coping with drinking yeah. and other stuff. And, and it wasn't until I got to a point where I was ready to say, okay, my problem and the thing that I'm using to shove it down and not think about it and not face it really, really. I wasn't facing it. Now that's affecting my family and my friends, the people that are closest to me. And I Mm -hmm. can't keep running. I mean, so at the end of the day, what kind of life do you want to have? I mean, we're here, relatively speaking, for a short period of time. How do we live our best life? I just, I'm like blown away that you, I, I am sorry that you went through that, but not because I feel sorry for you or I pity you in any way. I know it's just, it's, it's disgusting how relatable it is. Yes. You know, what a great way to put it. But the fact, and the thing that struck me with what you said, it's like, you were the voice. He did this to 12 other people and you were the voice. And how amazing is that? Because you have the most beautiful voice. (laughs) Thank you. I'm honored to like meet you and, and to know you. And I just, I'm so touched by your story and I'm so touched you. that you would share something because I think that that's what demystifies shame and that's what makes, yeah. I think the more vulnerable we can make ourselves, the more we can come into the light and be the light yes. for other people. Yes. So my gosh, yes. what an amazing story. And I can't believe you're 19. I just am like, you have so much more to say and so much, so much more music to play. And I just, I'm. I'm so thrilled that you could be here today. If you didn't have any fear, what do you think? I mean, I know you don't have a plan B, but we still right. <laughs> we still have fear. And I think there's, for me, yeah. I think fear is a good thing. I think, I think it was Einstein who said, I hope it was him, but somebody said this that was much more brilliant than, than I. And that is that every for every reaction, there's an opposite reaction. And so I think that my defects of character they need to be balanced. And so for me, yeah, just that was like Newton, wasn't it? Yeah, probably one of those smart guys. Yeah. Smart dude. <laughs> one of those smart dudes, man. And th- so the thing is, it's like for me to have fear, a healthy dose of it keeps 
me in check because I need the fear to find my courage. So I need to sort of balance those two things because mm -hmm. after all, I think that is the goal or a worthy goal anyway, to want to live a more balanced life and peace and harmony. Yeah. So with the fear that you experience today in your life, I would say that's probably your experience of that happening to you when you were molested was probably the worst one of the worst things that could have ever happened to you. And let's hope it is yes. the worst thing that ever will happen to you. But we still have those fearful things that we encounter every day. If you didn't have that fear holding you back, is there anything that you would love to do if you didn't have fear? If I had no fear, I have this very, I don't want to say unrealistic dream, but this kind of like alternative life that I would love to live where I just go completely off the grid because of all the experiences in nature I've had. I just, I want to forget about how we've built society today. I know it is pretty much impossible to go back to the root of the human experience where you're just surviving and this is a digital age and I hate to bash technology, but we do depend on it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. I think it helps more than it hurts, but sometimes I just want to leave everything behind and live the rest of my days very simply and just go and be with one person I love or a few small people or just every so often come back and visit, but just to go out and just live the rest of my days like the real world doesn't exist. And I think that's a, a dream that a lot of people have. Sure. But just to, just to live simply, I would love to do that. And the career choice I have makes that very hard because I don't want worldwide fame. I mean, if I am blessed with this big break and I get some nationwide or international fame, I won't reject yeah. it. Right. But I think my my realistic goal is to at least have nationwide fame, just a few states where I'm just really well known. And to get there, you can't seclude yourself from the world. You have to use social media. You have to use technology and you have to show yourself to the world and you have to be vulnerable whether you, you like to, it or not. So. Yeah, you have to show yourself to the world. And that's the hard yeah. part. We all put on those masks and we all cover up. Yes. And we all say, hi, how are you? But we don't really wait for the answer because we don't really care. We don't, nobody's paying attention and listening. And when you're talking about the, first of all, I don't think it's an unrealistic dream. I think it's more optimistic too, because you've handled things so beautifully in your life up to this point that I think it's a very realistic dream that you can spend, you can live off the grid, so to speak, because mm -hmm. you know what's important to you. You get to manage your time and your activity and your music and your career and your school and your friends and your boyfriend. And you get to manage these things because you have the ability to do that. You've been taught well. And more than that, you've listened well. And you're listening to the spirit that is that little voice inside of you and that, that gut feeling that you're paying attention to. Yeah. That it's, it's, I know I'm lucky to have that. I think from a young age, I've always felt very grounded which I, I pride myself in. I don't like to brag about it, but I know that's a quality that some people strive to have. And it just came naturally to me to be this grounded, empathetic person who knows themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. And the I'm thing thankful that I have that quality. Whoever gave it to me, thank you. <laughs> God. Thank you, God. <laughs> um, if you believe in God. 
whatever the God is of your understanding. Yeah. I mean, I think right. it's really, for me, it's about the God of my understanding is something so much greater than myself. And we don't do it along, alone and we're all connected and yeah. we need to lift each other up and not tear each other yeah. down. And I think even just you sharing that story, Stephanie, uh, and for so many girls out there just to empower, it's like, I don't have daughters, but I have nieces and to empower them in a way that I never felt empowered until now in my life, until I got into a life of recovery. I've been in recovery for almost 20 years yes. and talk about peeling back the layers. I feel like I sort of burst through the concrete. It's like that huge dinosaur egg. I felt like I just shattered through the concrete and the earth and it's a life beyond my wildest dreams because I was able to get in touch with that place. The other thing I was thinking too, it's like when we're talking about the balance, it's like I need to have a healthy dose of fear today to keep me sober. And I need to have a, a healthy dose of fear so that I can have a quicker access to my courage that I need every day. Cause I'm, yeah. fe I'm fearful every day about stuff. I, I worry about my kids and my family and my friends and my, my, uh, right, yeah. my nieces and my nephews. And, and I don't, turn on the news so much anymore. And I try to f empty myself out during the day through morning meditations and prayer to just start myself out in a way that is a clean slate. And that leaves my heart open to mm -hmm. receiving the messages that I need. Cause again, I, I'm a huge believer. It's like, whatever you put out in the world is what you get back. And so like with this whole thing with technology, it's like we, we've kind of on some level, we create this monster. It's like, we need it. But then it can tear us down right. too. And so without balance, yes. you know, we're destroying ourselves from the inside out. It's like we're infiltrating yeah. ourselves. And so I just, I think that sharing your story and finding that balance and the courage and knowing that you want to, you know, you'd like to escape and be with your family and friends. It's because you yeah. are grounded, you are empathetic and you know what's important. And I think, especially I think of these girls and my nieces and my, my mom friends with young girls in particular, not that this doesn't happen to boys, because it does. In fact, it happens more than we talk about. Sure. In yeah. fact, I, I, it's a shout out to a friend of mine, Scott Prolinsky. He has a foundation. It's, I involved in a nonprofit foundation called Casa Milagro, who I've, I got in touch with this guy through another friend of mine, who's a huge support in my inner circle, Kathy and Kathleen and, she, Kathy in particular, got me in touch with Scott, who started Casa Milagro, and it's a foundation on sex trafficking. And I've gone to a couple conferences, and it's really, it's starting with the boys. And we, it took us a long time to figure out, yeah. like, are we doing it with the boys? Are we doing it with the girls? We should start somewhere small. And we all decided, and I felt very strongly about starting with the boys, because I think we still live in a patriarchal society. And I think that totally. while women have made great and wonderful breakthroughs, we are are different just biologically and yes. physiologically and yes. we need to know what our gifts are and we need to not bash men and men need to not bash women we need to have the balance of the masculine and the feminine principles to work together and yes. i just think i my vote for working with the boys and setting up this casa milagro foundation for sex trafficking was to work with the boys to educate the boys because we still live in a patriarchal society teach the boys how to care and respect and be kind to women so that women are empowered to be kind and care for themselves and and be able right. to be more empowered to go out and be the caretakers that we are naturally inclined to be. So, yeah. I don't know, I could go on for yeah, hours. Yeah, there's huge stigma around men men having feminine qualities, and I think that's a huge thing. You know, you, you tell a lot of people, for the most part, tell 
boys that they can't be emotional, whether it's direct or indirect. You're telling boys they shouldn't be emotional. They shouldn't like certain things, even the colors they like or the activities they want to pursue from a young age because they're feminine. Emotions are seen as feminine and certain activities are seen as feminine. Even with clothing, if a woman goes out and wears a, a suit that a man would normally wear, yeah. it's like, oh, it's a fashion statement and she looks good. But if a man wants to wear something that's more feminine, yeah. it's it's like groundbreaking in a bad way. It's yeah. like and he's criticized and called all kinds of Yeah, and he's called all kinds of right. So because of that we, we assume that that men and boys can't be sexually assaulted, they can't be taken advantage of and they can't be hurt because that just doesn't happen because men are strong. Men are the aggressive ones, men are the dominant ones, so how could that happen to them? And we just leave out an entire part of our population that goes through that because of that mindset. Yeah, we totally marginalize them. They're like the other. And the thing is, the men that commit these crimes, I believe, don't write letters, but I think that the the (laughs) men that commit these crimes are men that have been on the receiving end of this. They've been... That's um, usually the case. Yeah. They've been molested themselves. Or they've witnessed it to some degree. Yeah. And it's like you can only teach what you know. And so they're acting out because they, they didn't have... Maybe they didn't have parents like you have or the people in my life, my mom and my sisters and my brother and some close friends and stuff. And the people that intervened in my life, you know, sort of like divine intervention. When they came in, I was fortunately at a place where I could receive that help and I wanted to receive that help. And so, yeah, yeah, I just I'm so grateful that you shared that story. It's just it's really powerful stuff. And I think whoever's listening, uh, I know that a lot of people will be helped by that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. That story. Like you said, if it, if it helps one person, that's all I can ask for. When I played the song I was talking about earlier and I had that performance where I was crying on this stage, I was opening for Crystal Bowersox, who was a finalist on American Idol, I think, season nine. She was kind of like a Janis Joplin. She had dreadlocks. Doesn't have them anymore, but oh. that was her her trademark. Yeah. So I was opening for her and that was like the la- one of the last songs I was playing and I was so I was just embarrassed more than anything. I was like I I was crying and you know maybe people didn't understand what I was talking about cuz I didn't preface it with hi, I was molested as a child. I was just like there's a song, <laughs> here you go. Um cuz I knew if I said that that would be it for that me. I would cry no matter toast. what. But I I was selling merchandise after the show and signing autographs for people who wanted autographs. And people, one, one man came up to me and said, I unfortunately related to that song more than you know. And I could really, I could see it in your body and how you were performing and how much of an impact it had on you and how hard it must have been to perform that. So I just want to say, I related to it and I really appreciate that you were so vulnerable with it. And I was like, weight off my shoulders, one person, that's it. And Maybe a it man. helps more people. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. I was like, that's all I need. That's why I do it. If oh. it's one person, that's, it's incredible how, effective that is because maybe other people related to it maybe other people were touched by it but they weren't vocal but that one person also showed vulnerability oh. and bravery and, and said it, hey and this you is, know yeah. it's 
it's also too, it's like, it's life affirming. It's life affirming one person. Yeah. And and the fact that it was a man that came up to you is like, there's, that makes me feel hopeful. Yeah. A man uh, coming up to a teenage girl girl, and saying, Hey, we're the, we're the same. We're the same. Yeah. And that's so true. It's like when you get to know somebody, and I don't know, I don't know what writer said this, but basically it might've been Longfellow. Maybe maybe. it was Newton. Yeah. Maybe it was (laughs) Newton. One of those brainiac guys, but this guy was also a good writer because he said that when you share your and I, I'm paraphrasing, but when you share your deepest, darkest secrets, you basically disarm all hostility and and you oh, yeah. disarm the hostility of your enemies. And it's like, if we can get to the heart, if we can get to the heart of the matter, which is what we all share, the pain and the suffering and the struggling that we all do, it's just a variation of the same theme, that, that yes. theme is life, then we can connect. And that's why he could see, you know, we're all, we're more similar than we are dissimilar. And the fact, I just, mm-hmm. that is really a hopeful a hopeful message. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When is it? It's called breaking your silence. It's called break the silence, break the silence. So when are you yeah. coming out with that? I've been planning for a few months to kind of release either two kind of like one, three song little batch or just one big batch of songs or like three separate things. But hopefully if I say I'll do it this year, maybe that'll give me the motivation to actually do it. I really want new music out this year just because the the newest stuff I have is from two years ago, which is Little Bird. That's the newest one. And I'm proud of that. I just, it's, it's nice to keep that momentum going. Yeah. So that song I recorded at a, a warehouse of Carmex, the lip balm and lotion yep. company, because Tony Schuler is friends with the CEO. So he's funny enough. He's this like collector of really nice musical instruments. So he had a Steinway in oh. his warehouse and I got to play I had to take my rings off because it's ivory keys and I was like wow okay don't mess this up and I recorded it it's a beautiful it's a beautiful sound for the song so that I recorded two other songs one of them is a, a happy love song to contrast and then I'm trying to think of what the other one was oh the other one is breakup song so the three of them together are kind of these like very vulnerable, very melodic, emotional, yeah, and very yeah, very Val- bare bones and just piano vocals and strings. And I would love to release those this year because they're done. I mean, they're just sitting in my hard drive. But yeah, I would love to release that. I'm not sure if I'll ever perform it live, but if people can just have it and that one performance of me singing it in the studio, if Why that's wouldn't you, enough. That's an interesting that you would say you're not sure if you would ever <laughs> perform it. Is that because you don't want to or because why? It's, it's, I guess it's more fear. It's fear of Aha. Uh, that vulnerability. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm oh. thinking about it now. I'm like, why would I not want why to? Why would you not? Um, yeah. It's, I guess it's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another to take that piece of music you wrote when you were going through things and while you're playing it, that's an experience in and of itself. So you're playing it and you're thinking and you're reliving all these things, whether it be the actual event or the, the delayed trauma that happened, you're reliving all of that. So thinking about that while you're just trying to perform and just, it's hard to play a show for people is hard. Yeah, I totally get that. The way I, can relate to that is when I was going through the deepest, darkest times of my life, I was journaling, fortunately. And when I look back on those journals and I cringe and I cringe and I cringe, and even some of the most recent writings, not most recent, but in years past, like I look back on some of the writing and it was, the writing was therapeutic and it was cathartic. 
but it was raw and it was because I was going through these ugly, dark times and trying to figure out why I was even still alive, basically. And so to go back and like, let's say, read that out loud, I wouldn't have been able to do it now. So the reason I say it is because I hope, because I, I just love you so much as a person and as an artist, and I know because I'm not 19 anymore, that, (laughs) that your story and you being able to share that with however many millions of people are listening, right? (laughs) that someday I, I hope for you and I'm going to carry this thought and someday I'm going to hear you singing that. And I'm going to be like, she's okay. Like she could get through it. Like there's a separation. You need that distance from the work, put it on the shelf and let it, ruminate and percolate and you, and during that time where it's collecting dust, you're not, you're, you've dusted yourself off and you're moving on to the next thing. And someday you'll be able to go back to that powerful experience. And even though it's still your baby, so to speak, you'll be able to have Mm -hmm. that separateness from it where it's like, where it's like, I hope to get to with my own kids. I want them to fly off out of the nest. And I sure. hope I, the thought of them walking out the door every day, I want to burst into tears. I love them so much. Don't leave me. Right. Don't, don't go to school. Yeah. I want to homeschool you. And then they come back and they fight. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't want to homeschool you ever. Get out. <laughs> but you get what you can handle when you can handle it. I just, I, I'll, I hope for you and I'm going to keep this in my thoughts. I'm going to hope for you that someday, because I think that that, if the song and your music, if it's anything like the rest of what I've heard and the story that you've shared, that is going to be a big hit. And it's going to be a big hit because it's a powerful message through music to change the world. And I think that you're going to do that. I think you are. Thank doing you. It. I, I think appreciate you that. that. Thank you. I could go on for hours. Discuss amongst yourselves. No, <laughs> but I should let you go because I know you have a life. Um, but, you have a life. It's school. It's mostly school. Yeah, but. so you've got some studying to do and some music to write. But I'd love to go before we go today. And by the way, I'm going to send you, because of the nature of the topic we were talking about, the website that I have, my blog, is humormewithmo.com. Mm-hmm. Shameless plug there. And, you know, yeah. so I, I write articles. So I try to write with a humorous twist because, for me, humor has gotten me. It's it, it's basically, I think, the weapon against all absurdity. And I think it, it helps ail anything of mine. If I, you can't be afraid if you're laughing. Yeah. And, and so I try to laugh a lot, even at myself mostly. But the last article that I just posted yesterday, it's called Who Are You Anyway? And they're not all this deep, so to speak, but it was an article that just came out and I'm getting some responses that are kind of shocking to me because I was afraid to put myself out there and people are relating it to it in a way that is shocking to me because we all suffer from pain and we all have obstacles in our lives and we all have fear. And it's like an outpouring of support, but at the same time it's uplifting because they're like, I can, I can get through today. And so I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you that when we hang up. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. When we hang up, I'm going to get, Oh, I have your email. So uh, I'll email Mm -hmm. that to you today. Cause I think based on our conversation today, you would, Really appreciate that. I'd love to share that with you. Yeah. And lastly, my new favorite song, Paradise. I'm going to play that. But again, if you wouldn't mind just giving our audience a bit of some background. This is, a, is this a fairly new song? No, this is actually one of my oldest. Oh, no Which way. is so funny. So this was, this song has gone on a big journey. I wrote it 
middle school. So when I was like first starting writing lessons, it was originally on my, my very first album was when I was 13. It was 10 songs, all very, very juvenile Mm -hmm. kind of songs, but just funny when I listen to them now. And this one was about the summer camp I was talking about. And I worked there last summer and I went there for five years. So this has just been a huge part of my life. It's kind of my sanctuary and I called it my paradise. This is where I love to go. It's my favorite place in the whole world. So we have this songbook at the camp that is just filled with songs like Bob Dylan songs, Peter, Paul and Mary, John Denver, all these classic campfire songs. So I was thinking, what if I wrote a song about camp and what if they put it in the book? And they haven't put it in the book yet, but that's just probably because they haven't heard it enough. They um, will now. But if you're I know, listening, if you're listening out there, I'll, put it I'll in send your it book. To them. Good. Yeah, please, please, Ann Derber, put it in. Ann Derber, if <laughs> um, you're listening. Put it in the put, put it, it in, in the, the book, book, please. Sing it in Nash Lodge, please. There you um, go. So I wrote it I wrote it originally when I was in middle school, whatever, in the early teen years of my life. And, and then when I met too. Tony Schuler, I said, hey, here's all my old songs. And he was like, okay, let's kind of rework them because you are a more mature writer now. So let's rework some of your old songs. And we reworked My Paradise. And he had a little guitar solo to put in there. He helped me bring out the emotion in my voice more when I was recording it and Listening to this one, too, I think this one is my favorite off of that five-song EP, which is Save the Day, Just Friends, Change, You're to Blame, and My Paradise. I don't know if that's the correct order. I know yeah, I'm looking just at it friends. now. Change, Just Friends, Paradise, Save the Day, and You're to Blame. Okay, so I was all mixed up. But yeah, I think this is my favorite just because it's... Of it's, the memories. It brings you back to that community. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. Well, Ann, what's her name? Ann Nash? Or no, Nash. Ann Derber. And, and Nash Hall. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Ann, if you're listening, get people singing <laughs> it. All right. So we're going to play you out on that, and we'll be back here in one second. And this is Stephanie Aaron Brill singing My Paradise. Someone take me back where I know I belong away. I'm so tired of being strong But when I am with you The world that I once knew Shoots to the back of my mind I would stay here forever Then we'd be together But I know that we don't have much time You're my sunrise Leading these open eyes Showing me what life could be like You are mine 
say, we just need to play that one more time because one, it's awesome. <laughs> and I could, Thank and, you. and I don't know if this is the one I was listening to on YouTube. Um, but there's, there was a song and I thought it was this. There's a song that you play where there's a break and there's this couple of measures or more of an arpeggio where it's just piano. Is it this one? Oh, is it music box? Are you talking about music box? Was I wearing like a striped shirt? Yes. And I'm at a piano. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's called music oh, box. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to keep replaying <laughs> that over and over. Like just Thank you. And Tony is such a phenomenal guitar player. Oh, he he can do so much. And he's very humble. He will not like if you told him he's a good guitar player, he'd just be like, Ah, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is amazing. Well, that is not about all we have time for. I have all day, but I'm going to let you get back. I know to it's been so fun talking about all this. You've had great questions. I love Aww. talking about deep stuff like that. So yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, you are really inspiring. And thanks to everybody for tuning in to my podcast today, Bite of Courage. And you can hear, why don't you tell everybody again, Steph, where uh, they can find you. And I know you're going to be up in, is it Bluebird Cafe? You're going to be up there in March. Yeah. Several several nights yes in cedarburg wisconsin we have an open mic night the first wednesday of every month and i'm usually the mc for that i was the mc for three years there and i perform there every once in a while we just had a competition there in january so hey if you're around the milwaukee area and you're looking for an open mic night a good way to just practice performing we're all super nice nobody's gonna boo you off stage um <laughs> and you don't just have to be a musician you can come and read poetry you can come and dance Aww. you can come and show a short film you can do comedy or you can play music any way you um, want to so, express yourself yeah come on down it's in cedarburg wisconsin at our cultural center and if you want to listen to more of my music i have my own website it's stephanieaaronbrill.com there's a free download for little bird on my website if you like that the lyric video for that is on my youtube channel as well as a lot of live performances i was at Summerfest last summer and the summer before that performing with a full band which is something i rarely get to do so if you want to see the performances of that just go to my youtube channel which is the same as my website stephanie aaron brill which is the same as my facebook page if you want to see updates of shows i'm playing or just funny pictures of my dog Oh, what kind, what kind of dog do you have? I have an Airedale Terrier. His name's Monty, like Monty Python. Oh, and one of my favorite shows. One of my favorite oh, yeah. shows. Oh, yeah, hilarious. Aww. Perfect name for my dog. Well, I couldn't have said all that better myself, honestly. I could, <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. You have to train yourself for elevator speeches. Yes, that's well, called the elevator pitch. pitch. Like that. The elevator yes. pitch. You've got 30 seconds to sell. Yep. <laughs> That's what you got to do, and you do it well. Thank you. Hey, shout out again to your parents. I don't even know them, and I love them. And to all the support you get, Steph. Um, yeah. It's really nice to see somebody, I don't care what age they are, but to, to be grateful for the people and the friends in our lives because that's, that's the relationships yeah. and the friendships that really matter. That's all that matters. So Absolutely. you can also check out my website, humormewithmo.com, where I post weekly articles about finding humor in all of life's absurdities. So until next time, thanks again, Steph. Be bold, be yeah, daring, thank you so much. be brave, and take a bite of courage. All right. Thanks, Steph. And we'll, uh, thanks, I'll, be, I'll be looking for you and listening to you soon. Yeah, we'll keep in touch for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for tuning into my podcast, Bite of Courage. To learn more about my guests, 
you can go to biteofcourage.com or go to my website, humormewithmo.com, where I also post weekly articles about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be daring, be brave, and take a bite of courage. This is a trio production, all rights reserved.